And last week in chapel, I preached um, the first part of a message, and I rarely do that, but I was having so much fun, we only got one point done. So we're going to try to finish the rest of the message today. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, we're preaching this morning on the model New Testament church and what is a New Testament church. And, of course, the Thessalonican church was known as a model church. And the Bible says that uh, their testimony sounded abroad, uh, that, that people in all other regions around them heard of how they had received the gospel. And, uh, and West Coast Baptist College exists uh, to train up a new generation of servant leaders who, who are really committed to the Word of God and uh, who are uh, compassionate for lost souls and compelled to make a difference with their lives in this generation. And we believe that's going to be done through the local New Testament church. And so we want to learn about uh, the church and uh, how God has designed His church to exist. And so we'll review a little bit and then get into the second and third point. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, let's uh, read beginning in verse number 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, But God which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, As a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even in 2018, you have given us a blueprint for the local church that still works today. And I pray that you would help us to have a heart for this, Lord, to to love your church and to desire to do your work your way. We do thank you for our guests who are here from Michigan and North Carolina and and, uh, many, many other states and schools. And Lord, we just pray that you'd bless them. We ask that you would help us here as we uh, approach your word to have your Holy Spirit, enlighten and teach us, and then use us for your greater purposes is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Remember years ago receiving a piece of mail on my desk inviting me to a seminar to come and learn about how to build a church. And I mentioned a little bit of this last week as I looked at that 
particular piece of literature, the seminar indicated that if I would pay a certain fee and come to a particular church that they would teach me how we could go out into the community and kind of do a demographic survey of the community and sort of ask the people in the community what kind of a church would you like to have in this community. And then once you gathered the data, then you would kind of figure out what they wanted and then you would put together your brochure that would uh, be circulated in the community inviting people to come to the type of church that they had said they wanted to have. And so uh, the, the seminar process was something like this. You, you go out and you, uh, you talk to people and you ask them what kind of uh, maybe uh, preaching they would like. And, and if they did not want strong preaching, then you uh, make sure that you take note of that. And if they don't like to have an offering, you take note of that. And if they'd rather have rock and roll music, you take note of that. And the idea was that you just create a church that is in line with what the community really wants to have in the type of church that they desire. And I was a young pastor, and I was looking at that and really thinking it through, and I began to ponder uh, the whole philosophy of going out and asking unsaved people what kind of a church they want to have. By the way, the Bible says that the church has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not my church to tinker with. It's not my church to, to rearrange or, or to change. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought, what good really is it to go out and ask unsafe people what kind of church they would like to have? And then I began to think, you know, the Bible's very clear in the book of Acts what kind of church Jesus has established. And, and so uh, our responsibility is not to design a seeker-friendly church so that people have what they want in church. Uh, certainly we want to have comfortable chairs and maybe some air conditioning, but we want to go to the book of Acts. We want to go to these epistles and say, Lord, what kind of church? are you desirous of in this community and then take that church out to a lost and a dying world. And when we have that philosophy, we approach the Bible as the authority, not unsafe people as the authority, but God himself as the authority for his work. And we see that in the church at Thessalonica, God had done a very special work in raising up a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing back to the church at Thessalonica, and he is really recounting with them the work that had been accomplished. In fact, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He said, I just want to remember some things with you. I want to remind you of what God blessed in this church. And as he reminds them, we saw last week that the Apostle Paul reminded them that this had been a church with pure motives. It was a church uh, that had proper motivation from the very, very beginning. I want you to see this in verse 3. The Bible says, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Notice that this church was a church that was not deceitful. It was, it was not like some of the uh, dens of iniquity, some of the false uh, religions that were there in Thessalonica praying to the gods of Zeus or Apollos. He said, we were not there pretending to be something that we weren't. He said, we were not unclean, that, meaning that Paul had been a morally clean man. He said, we didn't come there to take advantage of people. He said, we were not in guile in verse number three. In, in other words, 
words, he wasn't trying to trick them into something. He was very clear. In fact, in one passage he said, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my purpose, my manner of life. His testimony was very, very clear. This was a church with integrity as opposed to duplicity. And so uh, the Bible is clear that here uh, was a church that was doing God's work God's way. This was a genuine man of God, a genuine people of God who were earnestly seeking God in spirit and in truth. Years ago, I received a letter from Dr. Curtis Hudson, and Dr. Hudson wrote me several letters from his deathbed. And one of the letters said, and I quote, I do not know how much longer I have for this world. The doctor does not hold out much hope for me. However, life and death are in the hands of the Lord, not medical science. I challenge you to take your place in the long line of independent fundamental Baptists who have stood for separation and soul winning. I speak now especially of ecclesiastical separation. Hold that banner high until Jesus comes. In other words, don't try to mix in with all the other groups and act like everybody believes the same thing. But you hold high the banner of doctrinal truth and hold high the fact that you believe in eternal security and the preservation of the Scripture and that you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Don't be deceitful and try to become all things to all men, but hold on to the truth of the Word of God. And Paul the Apostle said our ministry was not deceitful. Secondly, he said the ministry was not uh, not man-centered. And I want you to notice this as we look at the motives of the church and review just a little bit. In verse 4 it says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. You know, when I walk out on this platform Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night to preach, I'm preaching to an audience of one, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, contrary to the modern philosophies of church growth, our desire is not fundamentally to try to please uh, the unsafe community. Our desire is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we pray that unsaved people get saved and that believers are blessed, but our goal is Jesus Christ, and, and we must always make Jesus Christ the goal. And Paul mentions this here when he says, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. Galatians 1 and 10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And so it is not the business of the church to adapt Christ to men, but to adapt uh, uh, to adapt men to Christ, that we might be conforming to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says we were not deceitful, and we were not man-centered. And then remember last week we said that this ministry was not a covetous ministry. Notice that in verse 5 he said, uh, neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Let me just say to our graduates this year, those of you that are getting ready to graduate, as you have these that are coming in to interview and talk with you about ministry, don't make your first question about the pay. Don't make your first question about the benefits. That may come later. But never let a dollar amount determine God's will for your life. And here he said, we weren't in it uh, for the money. We weren't there to get what we could get out of it. We were not covetous uh, in the ministry there. And so here we see right off the bat a church with pure motives, a church that simply desired to please the Lord. But then I want you to notice secondly this morning as we continue on, this church at Thessalonica was a church with personal ministry. 
Very personalized ministry for each and every one. Notice if you would in verse 7, the Bible says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Now think of what Paul the Apostle is saying. He said, when I came into this city of Thessalonica, we were personal in our care for you. He was gentle in his spirit. Notice that in verse 7. We were gentle among you. You know, sometimes people get the idea that in order to be a Bible-believing Baptist, you've got to have some kind of a mean streak and always be mad about something or be mad at somebody. And certainly there are times when we need to take a stand and we need to uh, truly uh, speak out against apostasy or some situation. But did you know that it's all right to be gentle? Did you know that you can believe fundamental doctrine and be easily entreated and have a loving spirit towards people? And I believe Paul the Apostle was this way. Uh, He tells us here, we were gentle among you. Uh, The Bible says in Jude 22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And so he says in this passage, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You know, I've learned that sometimes in working with people, especially here in Southern California, it takes time to see them grow into the, into the image of Jesus Christ. It, it takes a leader, and it takes a Sunday school teacher, and it takes a bus captain. It takes people that will just patiently work with others along the way, bringing them along in their Christian life. Uh, it's not very many times that someone gets saved, gets baptized, and suddenly everything is uh, completely in the sense of all the old habits gone. That does happen. But sometimes we need to learn how to wait on people and how to help them and, and teach them and, and, uh, and accept them where they are with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a lady years ago that got saved in our church, and she was about 70 when she got saved. And and she was so happy to be saved. There's no question that she had trusted Christ, but uh, she was uh, just kind of growing rather slowly at that age. And, and one night I was preaching on a Sunday night about serving God, and, and, uh, and I said, folks, if you want to serve the Lord in some, some way, you come up and let's pray and let's talk about it. And, and uh, sure enough, here came Laura. She was walking right down the, the aisle there and, and walking toward me, and I thought, Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. As she was walking down, I began to think, you know, Laura was a little rough still around the edges. She, um, uh, she could curse with some of the best sailors. I mean, the way she applauded my sermons and told me it was a good sermon was really exciting sometimes. And uh, she, uh, she was a chain smoker and uh, just kind of had a lot of things that she hadn't dealt with in her life yet, you know. And here she was coming up to volunteer. And, and I said, uh, Laura, you come see me tomorrow and we'll talk about it, you know. And I knew she probably wasn't going to teach the ladies Bible study or something. So I said, Laura, I said, uh, how about this? How about if you uh, are in charge of our vacuum ministry? And you can make sure that every, every Monday morning and every Thursday morning the church has vacuumed. Boy, she said, that's great, Pastor. She said, that'll be great. And I mean to tell you, she had those vacuums cleaned once a month. She came in early and made sure that every one of our uh, rooms was vacuumed. She did it with a sweet spirit. Spirit. Whenever she had to smoke, she went out back where the deacons went. It worked out perfectly. She was really involved in serving the Lord. And, and uh, we just kind of worked with her patiently as she was growing. And, and uh, I'll never forget one day we were trying to buy this property here. And we had a big map uh, of the property, and we were uh, highlighting it with different colors as it was getting paid for. And, and Laura came into my office, and she had an envelope. And, 
And she said, Pastor, she said, I know we're trying to raise money to buy the property out there at 40th and Lancaster Boulevard. She said, here, this is for the property. You take it. And, you know, pastors, we're supposed to act like we're not interested in stuff like that, you know. So I got my best pastor voice on. I said, oh, Laura, this is between you and God. I don't need to see it. I don't need to see it. Just take it to the bookkeeper. This is between you and God. You can take it over there. And uh, she was starting to get frustrated. She said, no, I want you to open it. Open it. And I thought she was going to give me a good cussing if I didn't open it, you know. And I said, all right, all right, I'll open it. And I opened it up. There were five brand new $100 bills in that envelope. She said, Pastor, I have been playing bingo for a long time, but I didn't start winning until I got saved. You say, well, Brother Chapel, did you teach her about the ills of gambling? No, we were in a building program. I prayed she'd keep winning. No, I didn't pray she'd keep winning. <laughs> we actually did talk to her about gambling. But you know, I find that oftentimes with people, though we need to be strong in the truth and tell them right and wrong, they also need someone, verse 7, that's gentle among them. Someone that continues to love them and help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what your bus kids need. I believe that's what our Sunday school kids need. I believe that's what visitors need this Sunday. They need someone that will just share a seat with them and someone that will show them what the book of Ephesians is and someone that will teach them how to sing Amazing Grace and someone that will love them even when they're just coming along in their faith. And in this generation of people, and, and yes, you say, well, we're against, uh, we're against uh, tattoos and earrings and nose rings and all the other rings and we don't like all that stuff. But wait a minute, wait a minute. People that walk in here, whatever their background is, they need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe whoever Paul met, they, they found a man that cared for their soul. He was patient in, in his spirit towards them. And, and so we see he was personal in his care. But I believe also he is personal in his commitment to them. The Bible says here, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. I, I'm telling you, I've, I've watched my wife and my daughters as God has blessed us with children and grandchildren. The love that a mother has for a child. To get up in the middle of the night, to feed the child, to change the child, to make sure that all the medications are right. It's an amazing level of commitment. And this was the level of commitment Paul said, I have this for the church. And I'm going to tell some of you men, you'll know when God calls you to the ministry. Because suddenly it's not all about you anymore. It's about others as well. Suddenly it's not all about uh, if everyone's doing what you want them to do. But you're thinking, what can I do for someone else? And you're waking up maybe in the middle of the night thinking about someone you've witnessed to at work or someone you invited to your bus route or some missionary you're praying for and suddenly you just have a heart uh, for something other than you and you realize God is placing you in ministry and Paul said I was committed to you even as a parent uh, loves a little child I love the members of, of, of the church at Thessalonica and would be to God that some of you men would be raised up not only to be mighty preachers of the gospel but to be great lovers of God's people and to help people know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people really don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Very few men knew God and knew the Word of God as did the Apostle Paul. But when you combine knowledge with that kind of love, you've got a mighty ministry. 
And Paul said, I wanted you to know that I cared for you and that I loved you. And, and, and many times today we see that, that people are very pharisaical in the sense that they can get real interested in proving that they're right on one point, but they forget to love people as they teach them along the way. And the Apostle Paul had that balance in his life. I think of as he stood there at Athens in Acts 17 and verse 16. It says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. Listen, somebody's got to see something more than the Griffith Park Observatory and the Hollywood sign and the Hollywood stars and somebody's got to see 170,000 people in Hollywood without one independent Baptist church and somebody's got to see more than just Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. Somebody's got to see 7 million people in Los Angeles needing the gospel of Jesus Christ and somebody's got to see this world as more than just a tourist attraction and see it as Jesus sees it, broken people and hurting people and addicted people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul saw at Thessalonica. He was committed to them all the way. He was committed to helping them and getting the gospel to them. And I'm telling you, when God calls you into the ministry, it doesn't matter where you are. Brother Finley could be here. Brother Gray could be here. Others could be here. But in their heart, they're thinking about someone back home in the hospital. Someone that got saved last week that needs to get baptized. Uh, someone that didn't have the right spirit that needs to be counseled. Somebody that needs to be loved and encouraged. And we need a generation of young men and women who will love somebody other than themselves that you would fall in love with Jesus and see the world as Jesus sees the world you know it's great to have a good time and to have good memories and and even at a basketball tournament it's wonderful but may I say there's something more to it than just getting your way and making the shot that ought to be your servant's heart even towards others this week Paul lived with that servant's heart. He says we had a church that had pure motives. It wasn't about guile or covetousness or pleasing men. This was about God. And how many of you know that people in our generation are looking for the real, true religion of God today? And he says it was a church that had a, a real personal ministry. I believe that people walk into our church every Sunday just wondering, does, does God even care about me? Are these people real? And Paul said, we cared about you like a, like a mother cares about a little child. But then I want you to notice finally this morning, this was not only a church with pure motives and not only a church that had a real personal ministry, but it was a church with a powerful message. And I, I get tickled a lot of times. I talk to younger preachers and, well, they want to tell me about their website. They want to tell me about their offering and they want to talk about their brochures and their lights and their, their video and all that stuff is of interest in today's generation. But can I tell you that without the anointing power of God, we'll never see churches raised up. And I want you to see how God worked in Thessalonica. I want you to see, first of all, that there is power in the preserved Word of God. The power is not in me, it's not in my eloquence or lack of, it's not, it's not in the technology, it's not in the, the video. Uh, I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
Now, Paul states that his epistle was given by direct revelation. That this epistle was given to him. Notice it. It was given to him. You received the word of God which you heard of us. He, he received it as the word of God. They received it as the word of God. As it is in truth. The word of God. Thank God today that we have a preserved word. Thank God that he has given to us his word. That it has been preserved for us. Even down to this very moment in the King James Version of the Bible. And we don't have to doubt it. Uh, we don't have to question it. We can receive it. And there is power in the preserved word of God. How much power? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. In fact, the Bible says it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know how powerful the Word of God is when you read it and when you hear it. Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I thank the Lord today for the power, the cutting power, the convicting power, the saving power of the Word of God. And we have the same power today the apostle Paul had in Thessalonica some time ago I was out soul winning with my wife and we knocked on a door and the people were really friendly to us they said come on into our house and of course we wanted to talk to people about the Lord so we went in and and uh, they started saying some things they had learned about the Bible we were saying some things and after a while I began to realize these people are Jehovah Witnesses and they're trying to convert me over to their cult so the Bible study intensified. <laughs> we began to study lots of verses. <laughs> the Word, the eternal Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father and we began to study the eternality of God. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And we went to the book of Hebrews and we saw where God the Father referred to God the Son as God. And we learned that the Father referred to the Son as God. And we went to many other scriptures. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we just were studying who Jesus is. And suddenly that man stood up in his living room and he said, What Bible is that anyways? I said, The Holy Bible? He said, What version of the Bible? I said, the King James Version. He said, I hate that Bible. By the way, it should not surprise you that someone who denies that Jesus is God in the flesh would hate this Bible because this Bible is very clear about who Jesus is. This Bible does not call Mary a young woman. This Bible calls her a virgin. And this Bible does not call Jesus just another man. It refers to him as it is in truth the Son of God. And I'm just saying today, there are many technological advances in our society and use them if you can, but never underestimate the power of learning the doctrine and the truth and, and the approach to studying and preaching the Word of God. For the power is not of ourselves. The power is in the Word of God, you see. And here we see the power that is found in a preserved Word. And, and then let me say this. There's power in a preached Word. There's power in the preached Word of God. Look at verse 9, if you would. He says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. 
Oh, listen, I'm so thankful for the fact that God uh, blesses the preaching of His Word. And there are many times when a preacher may feel like, well, I didn't do a very good job, and that may very well be true. But if he was true to the text, and if he rightly divided the Word of God, and he preached the Word of God and many verses of the Word of God, I'm telling you there's always great potential for life change when the Bible is preached. The Bible tells us concerning the preaching of the Word of God. As Paul's theme was Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 3 and 16, And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh and justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. You see, God was manifest in the flesh. Uh, God became man and dwelt among us, and He lived a perfectly sinless life. And He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And yet Jesus, the sinless Savior, uh, was falsely accused of Pontius Pilate. He was sold by Judas Iscariot. He was taken up to the lonely hill of Golgotha. And there he voluntarily and vicariously shed his blood for our sin. But thank God it didn't end there. On the third day, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. I get to spend my whole life telling people Jesus died and rose again for them. And when I do, it's amazing that lives are changed with the hope of eternity through Jesus Christ. Oh, some of you are here today and you're thinking, well, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm thinking I might be either a physical therapist or a professional basketball player or an underwater basket weaver. I'm not sure exactly which one of those, but some of you ought to think about this, spending your whole life proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to your generation. Spending your whole life preaching or telling or teaching or helping someone who's doing that so that your generation might know Jesus Christ. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And we need a generation today of 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 year olds who say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to tell others that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. The Bible is very clear that we must get that word out. Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap unto themselves uh, teachers having itching ears. And that time has come. And many churches are not preaching sound doctrine. Many churches today are nothing more than a social club and a rock concert. But there's a world starving to know what God's Word says and starving to know that Jesus Christ loved them. And God forbid that we would ever have churches that are not clearly proclaiming the gospel of Christ and inviting men to be saved. And that's the great need of the hour. And that's how the church at Thessalonica was grounded. And that's how every church will be grounded by the clear preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These churches that go around asking people, what kind of a church do you want God help us? I don't want to ask an unsaved man what kind of church he wants. I want to ask the Lord what kind of church he wants. It seems like everyone today wants revival without prayer. Revival without preaching. Oh, we must have we must have a revival of praying and preaching, preaching that gives declaration, preaching that doesn't compromise. Starving men do not need road shows in the church. They need a table full of Jesus Christ. They need to know what the Bible says. I was preaching in Australia many years ago. 
I was preaching a meeting there with Dr. David Gibbs, and uh, there were many, of course, from Australia, and some had come from Papua New Guinea also. And one morning I was preaching on the pastor's family, and I was preaching on marriage and, and ministering to your home and family as well as to the church. And there was one pretty big fellow there from Papua New Guinea, and he was listening very intently. And afterwards he came up and he began to ask me some questions about marriage and just about some things I had said. And I, I began to discern that this man had never been saved. I found out later that a missionary brought him just to give him exposure to Christianity under the guise of learning about leadership from this conference. And uh, this man was the governor of a, uh, of a province in Papua New Guinea that they had been working on. So we went to the pastor's office, and Dr. Gibbs happened to be in there, and, and we both began to talk to this man. His name was Y, W-A-I. And after a while, Y prayed and received Jesus Christ after his Savior. It was a wonderful moment. I'll never forget it. He had heard the preaching. He had come under conviction. God was drawing him closer. And then finally he prayed and accepted Christ. After he prayed, we shared some assurance verses with him. The man looked at me and he said, this is wonderful. Now I can be a better husband for both of my wives. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> he said, Brother Chapel, what did you do? I took him to the missionary that brought him. I said, uh, we got him saved. You can help him get him discipled. God bless you. We'll see you later. <laughs> You know, God's Word can touch a hardened, sinful heart every time and change their life every time as well. It's interesting to me, a church, a church with pure motives, just there to please Christ. A church with personal ministry, doesn't matter what your background, what your baggage, we'll be gentle with you, we'll help you, you come, let's see what the Bible says. A church with a powerful message. A church that truly and greatly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I believe? Every city in America needs these churches. Every city in America needs men and women who will care this way, and love this way, and preach this way. And, and, and it's not enough to say, well, you know, I'll find a Christian college somewhere then, Brother Chaplin. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll really uh, somehow use my business to somehow do this or do that. And, and, and some will do that and thank the Lord for that. But we desperately need today men and women who will say, here's my life, Lord. Take my life and use it. I don't believe that God has stopped calling people to preach his gospel. I don't believe that God has stopped calling people to be missionaries. I think we've just stopped answering. And I wonder today, if you believe that your city and cities across America need a church like this one, then perhaps God would use you to strengthen a church, to start a church, to be a part of lifting up as the pillar and the ground of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that Paul's greatest joy were these Christians that were saved in these churches. He said to the Corinthians, you are our hope and our joy. He said to see what God is doing in your life. That's what it's all about. You say, well, what did he get for it? Oh, listen, you may or may not have a nice home or car. That's that's really not the point, is it? But one day, when we see the Lord, we'll truly sing that song, It 
will be worth it all when we see Christ. And we'll be thankful that we spend our life around the local church doing God's work, God's way.